Welcome to the Be Free RE podcast, where you learn how to make your job optional. I'm your host, John, who's just getting started on his journey. But in the last year, I moved across the country, bought four apartments, make money as a landlord, no longer pay rent, and I have my first child. I'm joined by your co-host and my guide, Tony Angotti, who in five years quit his job and now manages over 80 units through a combination of house hacks, flips, and partnerships. So with that, let's jump into how you can do less of what you have to do and more of what you want to do. All right, Tony, welcome back to another episode of the show. Welcome back to you too. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, yeah, so today we're going to be talking about things you know now, but you didn't know when you started, which for me is like everything. Um, but anyway, what, uh, well, I don't know everything now, but I knew nothing when I started is what I'm trying to say. Uh, so why don't you kick us off with a couple of the things that uh, you've kind of changed your mind about now that you've been doing real estate for what, eight years, something like that? Uh, Six. Wow probably seven now no time flies when you're having fun yeah not yeah um (laughs) at least we're not lenny at least i've never had any lenny tenant learnings that's probably good yeah i re-listened to that today and just was like don't know how this happened to this guy but um anyway i guess the one thing that i think that no one realizes when they start out is no one really factors in what I call the headache factor with this. Mm. Like everyone puts stuff on their nice spreadsheet. It's easy to get information on how to analyze properties. Um, Easy to find out all the numerical things online, but what you'll never really get from just online learning is the like day-to-day practical crap that comes up. And we try to talk about that a little bit on this show, but even if you listen to a bunch of other podcasts, very rarely do they talk about like, literally all of the bullshit that you deal with every day just being a diy landlord i guess not like having a property manager or the stuff that your property manager is going through and that you got to pay for um there's that too but the headache factor is like a very large thing that i didn't consider and that's because you're plugging your stuff in your spreadsheet the properties that always seem to cash flow the most are the ones that are usually in like the most headache inducing areas so I got lucky and that I just said, well, I'm going to just buy where I live to get started. And thankfully where I live is like a B class type neighborhood. So I didn't have to go through it that much, but eventually we got sucked in after I kind of learned what I was doing, got sucked into the numbers and I bought a property that's in a more C class type neighborhood, not even D class. Like that's where it would be like highest possible on paper cash flow like a c-class neighborhood the amount of dumb stuff that i've had to deal with on that property that you would have to deal with either directly or indirectly if you buy a similar property it's just not worth it it's not worth it at all like i mean we have people like tag the building with graffiti every year oh man so we have to like find a handyman that cleans off the graffiti like it's just that would never happen in a like my other properties because they just don't tag buildings like that. And then like we had somebody run up and kick the front glass door. So we had to replace the glass in the front door. That's never happened in a property that's like in a 
slightly better area. We had the FBI at the building once because one of the tenants robbed the bank. Like, <laughs> and then you get people who like are always, you know, there's people yeah. that have more parties. There's more inconsiderate people. There's more just like, yeah. and then who do they go to when they need to solve their problems? You would think they're adults. They should just talk to the other adults, like, you know, grownups, but nope. They go to the landlord, they go to the property manager, and then you don't really have any power. So then eventually people leave, there's turnover. <laughs> it's just a whole more involved thing. And people yeah. rarely factor that whole stress aspect into their investing. And it's like the more expensive the building, typically, the nicer the area, the lower your on paper cash flow will be. But your actual time involved in having to manage that or manage the person managing it or just pay for stuff that went wrong is going to go down dramatically so yeah that's one thing for me what's something from you we'll go back and forth i kind of get so i have like a very similar one i call it spreadsheet magic and it's kind of kind of the maybe it's the same as headache factor but it's just like yeah man you can plug all this stuff into your little spreadsheet and you you're like oh well this just requires fifty thousand in capital improvements and it's like well okay but 50,000 in capital improvements is not five times 10,000 in terms of effort. It's like way more effort, mm -hmm. right? Like there's a difference between like paint and carpet and like, you know, whatever, uh, redoing drywall even like, you know, the level of effort skyrockets. So uh, I think particularly if like, you know, I come from like an engineering and whatever background. So like, the whole like do your spreadsheet stuff is very appealing to me and, and and necessary but i think there's a like you haven't you haven't started and in some senses this is great because you you don't know what to be afraid of quite yet but it's very easy to underestimate the operational complexity uh, of what a deal requires to get it done whether that's changing out tenants so it's hard know. to know what actually goes into like turning around the building yeah pretty much and i think i think i would much you know going back in time i would much rather take like a nice solid single you know out of the gate for my first property where i can like learn a couple things develop some relationships you know spend a little money and see how it goes then like you know try and get one of these bird deals out of the gate for example right where you're signing up for like basically a, a major rehab that's supposed to be a home run with cash out so that you can yeah. you know yeah. steamroll it all it's like that goes into the low and no money down thing like when yeah. everybody a bunch of people when they get interested that's what they're interested in because like you don't have any money so you see i can get started with low and no money down but the truth is that like those kind of deals typically really only work out great for people who have money already yeah yeah because it's like there's a whole lot of risk to it. Usually there's a lot of know-how and it's like, when you're just getting started out, you don't know what you don't know. Like you said, like you don't, you don't know everything that goes into this project. And if you have a whole bunch of money to burn and treat it as your university, then I guess that's a different story. But if it's like you saved up 40 grand and that's all the money that you have mm. to invest, then it's like, putting it into something with a lot of risk to get started is probably just setting yourself up for maybe not failure, but a lot of financial stress. Yep. So yeah, that's good. That's a good one. I like that one.
All right. Thanks, man. Yeah. How about you? What's we'll do like six of these. What you got next? Total, not each. Yeah, yeah, three <laughs> total. Or two um, each. I think that I I think about like how much I learned about how people can this sounds really negative, but how people can let you down. Like um <laughs> I think that whenever you get into this, you're typically people who start investing in real estate are very, you know, they're motivated. They're, you know, they're like people that actually start and do it, not just yeah, they're go-getter interested. Types. Like, yeah, yeah, they're, you know, they're usually harder workers. They're people who are going to go after the goal persistently, that sort of thing. Um, but a lot of your service providers and your tenants like aren't the same. Yeah. Like hardworking, reliable. <laughs> Yeah. folks so i think that at the beginning like especially because your social group like you're usually going to hang out with people that are like you so you're going to be used to people that you know have a similar mindset because typically what do they say you're the average of the five to ten people you hang out with most so you're normally going to be around most of similar people but then now that you get thrown into G the gp the general public it's like now it's all it's all different i mean you're going to get lied to if you do so many times, so many different ways, like I, I've been like, I've been lied <laughs> to so many times now about just dumb stuff. Like I, I legitimately got the excuse from a contractor recently where they said my car ran out of gas and I'm like, dude, I'm like in my thirties and I've literally never just like run a car out of, I mean, maybe it, it can happen sure but like i highly doubt that you just ran your car out of gas like can we make up a better excuse here or <laughs> just like you get so many bogus things that just come up oh, man. and contractors tenants you know the thing that you have to remind yourself of is that really this isn't intended to scare you like i would say when it comes to tenants 98% of them are totally fine people. It's just the 2% of them that like take up all your time and drive you insane. Contractors, probably 20% of them are cool. <laughs> <laughs> so right. I guess that's one thing is that, you know, you just learn more about what people are like. Yeah. Yeah. People suck. I have another one. I have another one that's like kind of similar, you know, to follow on to piggyback on what you got for us. Uh, it's like kind of unexpected wants and wishes from tenants. So, like, uh, you know, they call, for example, in one of our buildings, the lights burned out. That really old light fixtures. We had installed LEDs, and basically there was too much energy, and it like burned out the fixture itself. Uh, so that sucks. So we replaced the fixtures, no big deal. But the tenant wanted, uh, we installed these like LED ones that have built-in LED strips in them. And then the tenant was like, oh, I want to put in my smart bulbs and like stuff like that. And it was like, okay, well, I just installed both of these. <laughs> like, couldn't we have had this conversation before? You know, like, so just, it, it's kind of this interesting dynamic of, uh, you know, you want to talk to the tenant about what you're going to do so that you can solicit some, I think, immediate feedback if they're going to be very upset about it. But you also don't want to be like, hey, what kind of lights do you want? 
right? Like it's not a shopping trip with my credit card. So <laughs> kind of, I think it is. So uh, maybe to make this humorous, and da- there's a show called Daniel Tiger, which is like Mr. Roberts. And basically all the stuff that they do in Daniel Tiger to teach toddlers stuff is what we do with our tenants now. <laughs> so like one of the things is like, when we do something new, first we talk about what we'll do so that's what we we do for our tenants now we explain what's about to happen and uh kind of like hey we already bought this this is about to go in you know if if you know and like try and give them the product before it goes in so that if they have a major you know you know one it communicates like hey we understand the issue and we're making progress on it right here's visible evidence of progress yeah and then the second thing is like, eh, you know, let me know before I install two light fixtures in your house, please. <laughs> Cause I don't want to be at your house. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. That's definitely true. I mean, if you, if you give in to most of their, like everything that they want, you're just going to be doing upgrades, not repairs. And that's, you know, something to keep in mind, like what's an upgrade versus what's a repair. Yeah. And um, it is like, if you have a good tenant, you want to keep them usually every year sometimes you can offer like an improvement to the property yeah um up to a certain amount of money and that like helps keep them happy which is good so um but yeah definitely just like giving into every whimsy is kind of i don't know not the way to go yeah i mean you're gonna get manhandled it's just like the you you get fatigued man you get fatigued to your point about headache factor so and that brings up um kind of two things one real fast inherited tenants just suck yeah. like you mentioned training people like the toddler show like inherited tenants just are never trained correctly i can think of i don't know if i had to develop, like go through my whole portfolio and think about how many inherited tenants we actually kept and how many we would have liked to have kept it's probably like 40 percent or less less than half yeah yeah most of them most of them just suck for one reason or another they're either because the thing is when people are selling buildings they'll put anybody in there just because new new investors think like oh it's already performing this is great and then it's like they didn't screen them (laughs) so or they're selling because it's easier what do we what do we say about the lenny thing like it makes two thousand dollars on paper yeah (laughs) it's like but not in real life yeah um so yeah there's that and then also um i'm supposed to only have three but now i'm giving you a bonus i like the i think at the beginning we we touched on it briefly but everybody kind of focuses on like cash flow yeah but i think the more that i got into this the more i realized that like cash flow is important you need to not be buying buildings that lose money every month um market you know like some markets are different but the bulk of the markets you want it to be able to cash flow or at least come close to break even um but that's like way down on the list of what's actually getting you ahead i mean the longer you do this once you do like a balance sheet for a bank or something like that you're going to look at how much equity you've gained in the property, even not just based on appreciation, but even in just the principal pay down that the tenant's done for you. And that's what's creating your wealth. Now, granted, it's trapped in the property. You know, I mean, it's it's equity. It's not, you can't eat equity. Right. Um, 
but you can tap into that eventually with refinances or lines of credit or whatever. So it is important. That's what's really driving your wealth. And then additionally, they talk about tax benefits, but I mean, if you do it right, you can pay and you make this amount of money and you're in this tax bracket. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) Some people not sponsored by this show. Some people, some people get their rent and cash and they're like one for uncle Sam, one for me, (laughs) one for me, one for uncle Sam, two for me. Um, But uh, if you do it right and you file, you know, legally everything that you're supposed to, um, I, I got somebody once they they asked me a week ago, they were like, so you like don't, I mean, you've never not reported like your cash rent. I'm like, correct. I have never lied on my taxes. They're like, <laughs> yeah. so you're, so yeah, they're like, so you're telling me that you've never once messed up your taxes. And I'm like, not, not intentionally. On, not I on mean, purpose. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. They, I did something wrong, but yeah. like not intentionally. Yeah. <laughs> I think the only thing that I will admit to, even on the show, because whatever, I don't care, is it like when you have a bunch of properties, certain utility bills don't actually like, if you go online, like we have a sewage company called Jordan Tax in Pittsburgh, and you yeah. can't just look up your property address and see how much you paid in sewage. And the online like amount just gives you a confirmation code so you can't even like tie it back to an account so i typically just assign those to whichever property i'm like you know what it all evens out because it's like yeah all expenses but um but anyway but yeah the guy was like shocked that i don't lie on my taxes and i'm like well yeah sorry (laughs) But what my point was that if you do everything legally, you might be up here in this tax bracket, but through all your deductions, mostly the um, depreciation expense, you'll probably end up paying on your income like you're in this tax bracket below. Mm-hmm. Um, just because there's so many more write-offs, like legitimate write-offs. I mean, like if you ever find a conference in a cool place to go to, like a real estate conference or something like that, you can pay for it and then you can write off your your trip there like i mean this isn't tax advice it's just common knowledge to check with your accountant for anything you write off but like if you're you know if you plan your life around knowing some of these things you can really save a lot of money i mean you know like if you lease your car and you use it mostly for business you can write off your your car lease payment your mileage you can write off all these different things so you know there is a lot of savings just out of real estate specifically but then also just owning a business is like sort of a tax benefit although you pay self-employment tax which is a really cool thing from the government thanks thanks guys uh so yeah that's you know that's the big lesson is number one inherited tenants suck and number two like don't get too tied up on cash flow that it's the only thing you focus on try to look at the overall picture, including the eventual sale of the property or the refinance, one or the other. Cause you're probably not just gonna like, I mean, some people pay them off, no, no debt. And it's like, that's great for some people. Like if that meets your goals, fine. But 
most investors that I know, you're either going to sell it or you're going to refinance it to tap into that equity. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's, that's, uh, that five is enough. I think, you know, I, well, that was six, on my list too. You cheated. You cheated. Well, you got out of one. No, on my list, I have year two payoffs and appreciation is also there. Uh, very similar. It's like, you know, I was so focused on the year one numbers. And then even for us, look, we have three properties, six doors. I mean, appreciation heavily outweighs the cash flow. I think yeah. you need cash flow. It stops you from being poor, but you, you get wealthy on appreciation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, I mean, that is internal rate of return is like the number that's very useful, I think. Yeah. Because a lot of times people want to look at cash on cash. And it's like, that doesn't really, most of the time, that period that they're analyzing is just the first year. And it's like, exactly. that. if you're only analyzing the first year, you're never going to. Yes. So learn about the XIRR function in Excel, everybody. Do it. Or just plug it into the bigger pockets calculator. <laughs> <laughs> or do that. And it gives it to you. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. Even better advice. All right. Well, let's wrap. Well, let's get these nice and snappy. So, Tony, where can they find more about you? At 412 Agent. Follow me on the social medias, Tony Angotti or Anthony Angotti on YouTube if they want to look up the video. But if you follow me on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, I post the, the links to the videos now. Um, Perfect. So there's that. And then if they want to call in to talk to us and leave us a question, 212-8366-212-8366. That's the yep. number. Call Perfect. and leave your name. Let us make up where you're from. And then tell us a question. Yeah, perfect. And if you enjoyed this episode, give us a favor. You like it, subscribe. Thanks so much. Peace. Boop.